You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. It is time. It is time. They can't be Packers. No. Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. It's your boy, J.J. Leahy. Twitter.com slash J.J. Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y. Been a flurry of new friends joining. Has to do, of course, with the return of training camp. You get the return of fans as well. I love it. Patreon.com slash J.J. Leahy. If you like the work that I do um, on this network, on this podcast, uh, if you like the uh, Tim <laughs> Tom Austin show that uh, I helped put together <laughs> the other day, heard from Ryan finally. He he did enjoy it. I think he didn't see it coming. Pretty funny to blindside him, and his wife was in on it. If you haven't, I mean, come on. If if you're hearing this podcast right now, you have heard the Tom Austin show. If you haven't, something's wrong with you. Go check it out on the Packernet Podcast Network. Of course, you tune into Packernet After Dark. One of the best shows we have running right now. Tom Austin, frequent, frequent, frequent caller, finally came and took over the show for an episode. I had a blast organizing that. We got his wife in on it. Um, We thought, uh, for a while, we thought that she was going to be able to record his reaction, Ryan's reaction. But then, uh, I guess it dropped at an inopportune time, unfortunately. Big thank you to Andrew for jumping on the Patreon. I don't know, you know, the thing is, on Patreon, you just see guys, like, full names. So, Andrew, I only see your full name on here. Looks like you just joined Patreon, uh, my Patreon, I mean, earlier today. I only see your full name on here. So, if you go by a different nickname and I, like, interact with you frequently, let me know who you are. Um, if you're just a new person that I don't talk to very much, then thank you so much for hopping on here. Super appreciate it. All right, now, um, I have a topic I'm going to get to, but first, I want to respond to a couple of voicemails because they're starting to pile up. Firstly, <laughs> I think somebody is starting to um, buy into the running gag over on Packard and After Dark where you call in there and ask for JJ uh, because I just got this voicemail. Hey, Ryan, this is Donnie calling, uh, first-time caller. Just wanted to call because I just saw the We're Back video and... Just taking a moment to realize how much of a freaking stud Aaron Rodgers is rolling up like that. All right, go back, go. Go back, go indeed. He is a stud. I'll tell you, there's a lot of stuff coming out right now that has me excited for this season. And I've said a few times, you know, I really did not like how last offseason went. I'm not referring just to the Aaron Rodgers stuff. I'm talking about the decisions the front office made. I never bought into the whole, oh, let's just run it back and, and reload. 
with just the same guys we have because they were clearly good enough in 2020. I just I never bought into that. And I was nervous about heading into the 2021 season. I don't feel that same way this year. I think that they made some necessary cuts, brought in some new blood who's going to be pretty uh, impactful. I think Quay Walker has a massive, massive amount of ability to impact this total defense. I, I just, I just think that the addition of a second linebacker and how much Joe Barry needed that how much he's told us he needed that, man, that has me pumped and excited for what the defense is going to look like this season. And for me, it's not a foregone conclusion that they will have a rock-solid defense. I I don't think that that is something we can automatically assume. I think on paper, this should be the number one defense. I think it should be minimum a, a top three defense on paper. But how often has that kind of talent for the Packers actually lived up to their potential the 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 defense usually we would say on paper is more talented than the product they put on the field so it's it really is greater than the sum of its parts but yeah Roger's showing up you know now he uh uh, cut the beard and he's got he's rocking the mustache again I always love the mustache in the uh training camp and preseason I think it's a fantastic look I really wish he'd rock with it in the uh, regular season but he never does and probably never will um, all right, I got back-to-back questions here that are kind of, I-, I would say, related. One of them is a text from uh, Andy Monday, who sent this in over a month ago, and I-, I still haven't answered it on the show. I did text him back about this, but <laughs> he says, Do wide receivers learn the route tree in an NFL offense from a playbook, or do experienced wide receivers on the team make a GoPro video edition the new guys can just watch. I think that if they ever did that, that would be super fun and exciting to watch. I think uh, we would have heard about it by now. I've never heard of an NFL team doing that. You know, putting a GoPro on Cooper Cup or Devontae Adams and then showing all the young guys that that film. I, that would be super fun to watch, but you know if they had ever done that, that the media would have been all over it at this, you know, by now. I, th- I think the the Rams are probably the team who would try that because they like being all cutting edge and, and edgy. And I think that that video would have been made public already by now. Um, no, they, to my knowledge, they only ever just learn out, learn it from a playbook and from, from watching just game tape, uh, co- coaches film. By the way, if you want to send in a question for the show, Super easy to do that via text or voicemail. The number to do so is 231-714-4195. Either text it or call and leave a voicemail. Hi, JJ. This is Florence from Tacoa, Georgia. I wanted to know how administrators for different teams decide who they want for a given position. And by extension, how do you analyze a given player's strengths and weaknesses at a personal or team level? I really enjoy the wide variety of questions that I get. Some questions are like, I feel super basic, and then others are like way above my pay grade. Um, and then a question like this, thank you for calling in, Lauren. A question like this certainly involves a little bit of guesswork and hearsay on my part, since I don't and have never worked for an NFL team. But I do know, first of all, so Brian Gutekunst is the general manager for the Green Bay Packers. 
he actually runs an entire department of scouts. Uh, many of them are listed as college scouts. So I'll, I'll give you some names here. You got Luke Benuska, Chris Gaines, Joe Huber, Sean Linton, Mike Owen, Brandon Ross, Sam Seal, Brett Tyson. Those guys are all listed as college scouts. Actually, Sam Seal is listed as a national scout. You got other guys too. There's a director of college scouting, college scouting coordinator, assistant director of college scouting. Um, and these guys' entire jobs are to go around to colleges and watch players play. They watch tape of players playing. They're looking for um, guys that they're going to be interested in targeting in the draft. I don't see anybody on their website who is clearly labeled as a scout of other NFL players. But some of the other titles here, um, Lee uh, Gissendaner is the player personnel executive. Chad Brinker is the personnel and football administration executive. Milt Hendrickson, very important guy, is the director of football operations. Um, I have to imagine Milt is heavily involved in um, scouting NFL free agents. Uh, what else? John Eric Sullivan, vice president of player personnel. Super, super important guy. Uh, John Eric Sullivan just got a promotion as well. I believe he previously was just the co-director of player personnel. Uh, that is correct. He was the director of college scouting for two years from 2016 through 2018. And then he was the co-director of player personnel until uh, just a couple weeks ago. Now, part of your question had to do with who, how do, how do they decide who they want for a different position? But you got all these guys who are evaluating a guy's talent. Uh, the Packers will bring players in for evaluation who are not on their team. Um, they they do publish uh, workout information. I, I try and, if you follow me on Twitter, I try and um, tweet any updates for when the, the team brings in a player for a visit or a workout. Goody's always churning the bottom of the roster. He's always bringing guys in. Um, I mean, preseason, regular season, uh, off season, he's bringing guys in, working them out. Uh, these are guys who he has seen tape of them, um, likes some of the stuff that he's seen, thinks that they have some potential. He has questions. He wants, wants them to come in and, and see if they can pass a physical. Maybe he has questions about, um, you know, is there a limitation in this area of their game or in their athleticism? And so, you know, put them through the ropes as for, how do they decide what types of players they need? That's in conversation with their coaches. The coaches will tell you, hey, you know, we need a guy who can do this role. So I'll give you an example. With the tight end position, we don't have just tight ends. We have different types of tight ends. You have three very distinct um, positions on the, on the team that need to be filled by tight ends. The first is called the Y, which I think for many teams, the Y is frequently just referred to as the slot receiver. But the Packers um, call like the Mercedes Lewis type of tight end. They call that their Y. 
So he's he's really just an extension of the offensive line. They also have a duel, and that is a passing threat. So think Tunyon. And then they have their F, and you'll hear a lot of people call this position the H-back. Um, and I like calling it the H-back because it's easier to remember. Um, but Matt LaFleur calls it the F. It's the same thing. So DeGuara is an F. Uh, uh, Dominique Daphne is kind of an F. Um, there's a little bit of a debate with Tyler Davis about how he would be used. I'm pretty strongly of the opinion that everything I have seen indicates to me that he is a uh, dual tight end, that he's Tunyon, he's mini Tunyon. But the coaches will go to Goody. And I, you know, I don't know what the exact chain, chain of command is. Is it LaFleur who goes to Goody? Is it, um, you know, the offensive coordinator? I, I don't know. But guys will go to Goody uh, and say, we have a, a really desperate need for this type of player, and nobody on the roster can do this job. Best example of that, Quay Walker. We brought in Joe Barry and let uh, Christian Kirksey go. Uh, which is fine because he was a pretty terrible linebacker for us. But uh, Barry was really insistent that he needs tight ends. Uh, sorry, tight ends. I have tight ends on the brain. He has needs um, linebackers to make this defense work. And you, I'm sure you're aware the Packers have not prioritized linebacker in a long time. So they bring in Devondre Campbell. Um, Joe Barry likes him right away and says, yep, this is going to work. They needed two linebackers, and for the rest of the season, they were not able to find a second guy to come in and fill the role that Joe Barry needed. They did try and bring in Jalen Smith and hoped that that was going to work. It did not work out. Smith was just a a bad football player. So on the season, they had Devondre Campbell. They needed a second guy, and Joe Barry needed it so badly that he persuaded Brian Gutekinds to spend his first first first-round draft pick on a middle linebacker, which is totally out of character for Goody. But Barry clearly was insistent enough that this is what I need to make my defense do what it needs to do. You have to provide this type of player to me. You have to go get this guy, or else I cannot do the job that you hired me to do. And apparently they decided Quay Walker was the guy for the job. And by all accounts... Sounds like uh, Barry's pretty pleased with what he's been doing so far in training camp. So, hope that answers the question for you. Uh, I'm going to hop into the meat of today's topic, which I I had a slew of things I wanted to talk about, but at the top of my mind, I really wanted to talk about the position battles on the roster and specifically, like, what types of jobs are um, up in the air and available. So, hopefully you're interested in that because I could talk about that all day. And I've been receiving just a million questions about all these depth players, um, certain jobs that are um, available, especially along the offensive line. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get the ad break out of the way right now. Uh, But I also have to let you know about the giveaway. So we have a signed Quay Walker jersey uh, that is being given away by Pristine Auction. Pristine Auction is a new partner of the Packernet Podcast Network. They are the most trusted Sports memorabilia auction site. They have a A plus Better Business Bureau rating. 
Auctions on pristineauction.com start at just $1, and each day there are over 1,000 autographed items available, so you win signed, authentic signatures at affordable prices. Just last week, an autographed Justin Herbert jersey sold for just 110 bucks. That's crazy. It's about the same price as a brand new jersey without an autograph. Deals like this are happening all the time on pristineauction.com, and they have just about every player you could want, including Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, who cares about those guys? They got Aaron Rodgers <laughs> and so much more. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. Upgrade your collection of signed memorabilia today and get $10 off your first item when you use code ROGERS when you sign up. Again, pristineauction.com, use code ROGERS and get $10 off your first item one. And did that uh, Quay Walker autographed jersey pique your interest? The way you win it, you have to use the code ROGERS when you sign up. Uh, so you get $10 off your first item and you get a signed Quay Walker jersey just by signing up and using the code ROGERS. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. By the way, uh, Ryan put together on his Substack. Uh, his own interpretation of what we're doing here. And you can go there. Uh, it's pretty cheap to sign up. I'm a member. Um, uh, I support him on Patreon. So I get access to a sub stack. You go do the same. It's a handy tool because he breaks down where he kind of thinks everybody is in terms of uh, position battles, depth, uh, and all that. And I'm not just going to read off of his thing because I, I want you guys to go read his thing. And, and that's also not quite exactly what I'm doing. What I am doing is talking about the different roles that we have. And, and this goes along with um, what I was just talking about, how they have three different types of tight ends. 
you have similar needs at a bunch of different positions on the team. I think everybody totally understands it in regard to wide receiver. You got three um, pretty clearly defined types of wide receivers. You have your X receiver. This is a, a boundary receiver who largely is using um, intermediate routes. They, they might run some, some deep routes down the field, but you got a lot of uh, intermediate routes, so crossing routes over the field. Tends to be your big-bodied, fast, tall guys. The X receiver used to be called the split end back in the day. It's interesting. If you go look at like profootballreference.com, if you look at um, old rosters, they got all these crazy positions that you know <laughs> we've never heard of today. And split end is what they used to call their receivers. So the X receiver today uh, is the widest receiver away from the tight end. I think Alan Lazard fits this mold. Uh, I think that Christian Watson certainly could fit this mold. Um, how they're going to choose to use him, the nice thing with Watson is he has so many physical gifts, so you can lean into a few different usages. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, you know, he's the MVS replacement. Yeah, he can be. He could also be an X receiver. If you, but but he has to be, he has to be really polished. All right, if you're looking at the X receiver versus the Z receiver. And the Z receiver is going to be your speedy deep threat, has to get down the field quickly. Yeah, Watson is going to be probably better than just about anybody on the team at being a Z receiver because of his blazing fast speed. But he's also really tall, really strong, long arms. If you can get his route running down pat, I think he can be more impactful as an X receiver. To me, El Lazard is the uh, clear, undisputed uh, number one at that X position. Um, who else could be in the mix there? Uh, like I said, Christian Watson, but maybe you don't expect him to be in the mix in year one uh, just because of a development standpoint. Maybe Romeo Dobbs is a candidate here, though. Six foot two, 201 pounds. He's not massive, but I think big enough. Looking at his snap counts in college. He was only in the slot 21.4% of the time. He was targeted in the slot uh, 109 times his final year. Um, out wide, took 400 snaps. 78.6% of the time he was lined up out wide. And one of the things that I talked about with Dobbs uh, when we drafted him was that although you like Christian Watson's ceiling better, uh, due to his athleticism, Dobbs comes in as a very, very polished route runner, very polished technician. Kind of what you would think is that he's closer to his eventual ceiling right now than Christian Watson is. Not necessarily a bad thing when we need some immediate production this year, but I, I said multiple times on the podcast early on that I thought Dobbs might come in and be the more impressive receiver in year one. Obviously, Christian Watson missing a bunch of time in training camp with uh, surgery to his knee doesn't help him uh, make his case against Dobbs. Um, so, hard to say, but uh, as of right now, it would look like that prediction is looking good. Juwan Winfrey, if he makes the roster, if he makes it out of the field, um, another guy that you expect to play much more of a uh, ex-receiver Role. He's not the fastest at 4.51, which is kind of funny that nowadays we're thinking of 4.51 as being slow. Um, 
Also not massive. He's 6'1", 210, similar to Dobbs, a little bit smaller. I really don't want to spend a ton of time on the types of wide receivers because I I was mainly using them as the example of, like, you get that there's different types of receivers that we need. We got your X, your Y, your Z. Even though the Packers tend to refer to uh, the Mercedes Lewis tight end as their Y. But you got your X, your slot, and your Z. How's that? That's all the time I'm going to spend on wide receiver, only because everybody else out there is talking about wide receiver. So you can find a lot of information there about who's in contention for each type of wide receiver job. Uh, and we kind of did tight end. I think, you know, you're, if you're looking at the three different types of tight ends, I think um, when healthy, Tunning is your starting uh, dual tight end, your receiving threat. Tyler Davis surely appears to be the number two there. Uh, for that Y tight end, it's Mercedes Lewis, it's Dominique Daphne, and it's uh, Elise Mack. For, and for the H-back, Josiah DeGuar is the guy you would like to have starting there. And I would say Dominique Daphne pretty clearly is his backup. But let's talk about running back because we know what A.J. Dillon is. We know what Aaron Jones is. What kinds of qualities do we think the Packers are going to be looking for in running back three? Because I'm not sure they're going to keep four running backs. There's a few different jobs that running back three tends to fill. First of all, you have that Tyler Irvin jet sweep role. Now, I think in a perfect world, we would say Amari Rogers would be filling that role. I think a lot of the time last year, you saw saw Alan Lazard doing that job. Uh, Aaron Jones, I think Lazard clearly is just a case of like who's the next best player we can use, not who fits that description. Uh, I think Aaron Jones clearly got a lot of work in that role too, but... You know what we're talking about. We're talking about a running back who is uh, largely used as a receiver. We've seen a little bit of that from Kylan Hill last season in the preseason. Um, I I wouldn't say that Patrick Taylor seems to fit that mold. But you do have to think about the role of a third down back. And I I think that there's an interesting comparison to make between a third down back and the job that you would ask a tight end to do in that you need a third down back to be your last line of defense as a really good pass blocker, uh, but also somebody who could slip out and catch a pass. Last year, the third down back was Aaron Jones. They didn't keep a a third guy out there um, on the running back roster, the depth chart, to fill that role. Uh, It was something I thought they might try and do with Patrick Taylor last year. Patrick Taylor is kind of just an okay blocker, I think. Um, Taylor and Hill leave a lot to be desired in the blocking and receiving game, um, just compared to Aaron Jones. So it's a role to think about the answer last year. I thought would have been to keep Patrick Taylor. Uh, instead they clearly viewed Aaron Jones as the go-to guy there. And honestly, that makes (laughs) just a ton of sense Uh, in terms of pass blockers. I guess this is something that BJ Baylor seems to really stand out. Um, is his pass blocking seen a bunch of notes about him picking up blitz as well uh, so maybe that really gives him an edge over the other three guys uh, Tyler Goodson seems to be a pretty good pure runner and receiver um, really well-rounded guy I don't know enough about Tyler Goodson but I'm starting to get the warm and fuzzies about him 
Um, we could talk about offensive line, but I don't think I'm going to. Um, just because again, it's being covered everywhere, and I think folks have a good understanding of what the different positions there look like. So I'm going to bounce over to the defense and talk about the interior of the defensive line. Uh, if you're looking at the way the Packers use their interior defenders, they kind of have defensive ends and defensive tackles there in addition to their outside linebackers. And it's something that's a little bit hard for me to understand because I am not an X's and O's guru. Um, you know, but what we'd like to run a, a three or a five front a lot of the time, depending on where our outside backers are lined up. And it seems like Kenny Clark maybe is making a shift over to being more of a pure D end as opposed to that playing nose tackle. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that there are other guys on the defensive line now who you feel can take some of those nose tackle snaps, most notably TJ Slayton, a guy who I would like to sit here and spend a lot of time talking up, except that most of the fan base is already talking him up, so I don't think that's necessary. TJ Slayton, obviously massive dude, and he's been getting a lot of looks as the starting nose tackle um, even when the Packers roll out a five or six man front, you see TJ Slayton um, is is getting the look over Devontae Wyatt. I, I really don't expect Devontae Wyatt to make a massive contribution right away. Despite the fact that I really loved him in the draft, he was um, my uh, really my number one defensive tackle prospect in this draft class. I, I, I just think there's too much depth at the defensive line and no clearly defined role that you can hand Devontae Wyatt. He would be beating out Dean Lowry or Jerron Reed. And from everything that I have seen, so Devontae Wyatt is a freak among freaks when it comes to athleticism. How much catch-up does he have to do on the mental side of it? It seems like there's a lot. Like uh, Dean Lowry, you know, here's the weird thing. Dean Lowry despite the fact that he played really well last year, seems to have pretty much gotten passed over by both Jerron Reed and TJ Slayton. Which surprises me. And it does make me wonder if he's a cut candidate. You just you look at his contract, he makes a lot of sense to either cut or extend. Uh, I mean, gosh, now. <laughs> uh, anytime after June 1, it made a lot of sense to do that. But if you got your guys who clearly fit more of the defensive end role, and I think Kenny Clark and Devontae Wyatt maybe are in the mix there. Uh, Dean Lowry, I think, is probably going to be one of the top guys at the defensive end look. TJ Slayton and Kenny Clark and, and Jerron Reed are going to be taking a lot of, of snaps at nose tackle. You know, our question here is, what else are you going to use defensive linemen for? And it's going to be special teams. Field goal blocking um, is a big thing. I, I think that uh, John Ford, our seventh-round rookie, was pretty much exclusively drafted just to be a uh, special teams blocker. We do have a really stacked room here. I don't, I don't know where exactly I'd put Jack Heflin's odds of making the roster. 
I think we're probably going to keep only about five defensive linemen on the roster. So Kenny, Lowry, Reed, TJ Slayton, and Devontae Wyatt. That's five right there. So maybe you keep one other guy for special teams work. Um, and, you know, does Jack Heflin have any kind of an edge over John Ford there? I kind of think he doesn't. I don't know. John John Ford is an interesting draft pick because he was not a very good defensive lineman. Didn't grade out well at all at Miami. Um, Like bottom of the barrel athleticism. When you're looking at everything he brings to the table, what is there to get excited about? It's his work on special teams as a field goal blocker. Did that a ton in school. So to me, that that is why he is there. And it makes sense when you look at what a disaster our field goal blocking unit was a year ago. But one benefit of this stacked room and one reason why maybe uh, you do keep Dean Lowry, maybe you do keep a sixth guy, Kenny Clark, I think, makes a lot of sense to be used much more as a uh, pass rusher, pure pass rusher off of the edge. Um, I... There is a schematic hole here where you got to talk about, you know, Rashawn and Preston, you know, we we make them play as stand-up outside linebackers. Where do you put Kenny, who kind of only has experience hand in the dirt? But, man, I get really excited about the idea of TJ Slayton in the middle and Kenny Clark uh, coming off the edge with a Rashawn or a Preston flying around on the outside of Kenny. Man, if Kenny... Oh, I'm getting chills. Think about this. Let's say that Kenny can and will, because of the monster that he is, soak up all the attention of a tackle. You have a one-on-one matchup with Rashawn or Preston versus a tight end, maybe with some running back help, or, you know, no tight end, and just the running back. Oh, Oh, I'm getting chills. I guess we got to talk about the edge rushers and what you're really looking for here is a guy who really sticks out in run defense because you got your top two guys in terms of who can be a good run defender. Uh, Tipa is the, I think, obvious answer here. Problem is that outside of he, he did play a limited number of snaps last year and was decently well graded and and. I can't call him productive, but he he had high grades, and he he didn't play very much last year. You just haven't seen much over the course of his career. He's been largely a training camp superstar, but he was the I don't know second or third highest run defender on the defense last year. Behind, uh, I think he was the second only behind Devondre Campbell. I think that's how that shook out. For that reason, I'm giving Tipa the clear nod at pass rusher number three, which you you really do need to have a a guy there who is a solid run defender. You know, Rashawn and Preston, you want them to pin their ears back and get after the passer, but you need somebody you can put out there when you're not in obvious passing situations who are not going to be liabilities in run defense. Tipa has to step up there. I am of the opinion that we do not have enough guys on this roster. You look at Rashawn and Preston as your locks for one and two steep drop off to Tipa. And then you have Ladarius Hamilton. Let's look real quickly at his grades. 
The run defense is bad. He had one good game last year on run defense that was against L.A., who you may remember did not have a running back. (laughs) So that's not great. Uh, His tackling kind of leaves something to be desired. He only had two tackles last year on 64 total snaps, 25 of which were in run defense. So when they used him, they used him as a pass rusher. Um, Not that he's a fantastic pass rusher either, or or rather wasn't last year. I'm curious. Let's look back at 2020. See, he didn't play in any regular season games in 2020, um, which was his rookie season. So I just I don't see Ladarius being the answer there for your edge three. You know, so how long does it take for an Agbar to get up to speed? Um, you know, what does Jonathan Garvin bring? Garvin is a decent tackler. He's a horrific run defender. I guess horrific is kind of harsh. He had two good run defense games last year. He missed week 17 against the Vikings. Uh, he had a good run defense grade in week 18 against the Lions and week nine against the Chiefs. Outside of that, his highest grade was a 60.4. He had, His worst game was a 43.4. Most of his games looks like they were in the 50s. So horrific is harsh, but he's a uh, below average run defender. Pretty good tackler. Um, slightly below average pass rusher. I do recall uh, tackling being one of his strong suits. And I, I don't, that's it's weird to think about him being a bad run defender, but a good tackler. And like, I, I get how that works. You know, that run defense is a lot about being in the right spot at the right time, making the right decisions. But it's also weird that you can be a good tackler and a bad run defender. I don't know. Maybe he takes that step. The fact that he's a good tackler should get you excited. It does get me excited. I think they need to bring somebody in. I've been saying so all off season. I do expect them to bring somebody in at some point. Three names out there right now. D Ford, Carl Nassib, and um, Anthony Barr. Obviously, all three of those make you a little underwhelmed. But so did Whitney Merciless before we picked him up. Um, The other guy to throw into that mix would be Quay Walker. Um, And I know, who's the uh, other inside linebacker has been getting reps outside? It's not McDuffie. I think it's Ray Wilborn. I think Ray Wilborn has been getting snaps out out wide as well, which makes sense actually because Wilborn has bounced in and out before. Um, Randy Ramsey, guy I've been excited about for a long time, but just way too many injuries for him to ever show us what he can do. So, you know, he's there, and I'll I'll be excited if we see something from him. Uh, but right now, I just I'm not seeing anything encouraging from. Um, anybody outside of Tipa, I think that's about it. And in Agbar or, uh, Agbar, however you say his name, that was a dude who a lot of us thought was going to go in the second round. I thought he was a second rounder. The fact that he fell all the way to the very back of the fifth round, um, you know, and, and his, his quality of play did drop off the second half of last season in college, but looking at his, his, uh, you know, what he brings. I, I thought that there was enough there to go ahead and take him in the second, maybe the third at the latest. I think that what we're seeing from the Packers right now is that 
there's a big gap in terms of what is between his ears and what they need to be seeing from him, you know, uh, on the field. Athleticism for days uh, really makes you excited for his potential down the road, but he does feel like a developmental guy. Uh, if he can speed that process up and, and get to a spot where the coaches can trust him this season, obviously that's going to be massive. I think uh, edge three is going to be a, a huge, huge part of um, part of this defense's success. But the, one of the knocks against Kingsley and Agbar in college was his run defense. He's kind of just a pure pass rusher. So, you know, if, if you're looking for – this role that I'm talking about, where you can go put Rashawn and Preston on the bench, let them catch their breath, have somebody out there who's not a big um, run defense liability, I don't think we have it on the roster. I really don't. Um, unless Tipa and or Hamilton slash Garvin really take a big step, nobody here is inspiring confidence to me. I, I think if you're looking at the defense and you notice that um, 52 and 90 – isn't Preston's number 90? 91. 52 and 91. If if they're not on the field, if not one, if neither one of them is on the field, I'm very nervous about uh some team bouncing it out wide and and hey hey maybe maybe our inside linebackers do help a lot in that situation. That works for San Francisco, it works for Indianapolis, it works for uh the Chargers, even worked for the uh Tampa Bay. To the other Big position on defense that I think is interesting to talk about that's not really clearly defined is the star defender. Um, this is a defensive back who plays up uh, closer to the line of scrimmage. They work a lot in run fits. Uh, you could call it a box safety if you want. It's a little bit different than a box safety. Uh, Adrian Amos played this role a lot. I think Channon Sullivan did it at times. Jair... Um, I mean, not he didn't play very many games, like three games, but uh, four games maybe. Um, so who are some guys who would make sense for this kind of role if you're looking at run defender? I, I've heard Darnell Savage's name tossed out there kind of a lot recently for this job. And, I mean, I, I, I guess I get it from the standpoint of he's got a lot of athleticism, but I think that this is... The crowd who is upset with Darnell and and thinks that he's a sucky safety, I think that it's those guys looking for a new job for Darnell and and talking themselves into, oh, if we can find something else for him to do that makes use of his athleticism, then that makes a lot of sense for how he can still be a member of this team. And I, I just think that you're working with a few different layers of um, misguided information. So I actually don't have a name off the top of my head um, that I wanted to already talk about for this. So here's what I'm doing. I got PFF up. I'm sorting the defense by run defense grade. And let's see which DBs are an option here. So the highest rated DB is Adrian Amos at uh, 77.2 run defense. Makes sense why they used him a lot there last year. Then you have Jair... Um, and you know what? For Jair, I want to go back and look at his 2020 grade because 2021 really was a bad season for Jair even before he got injured. He was he just was not playing to the same level he had been a year prior. So, to get the most 
the rosiest look. In 2020, his run defense grade was a 68. I think that's good enough. Uh, what's his What's his tackling grade? Of course, you have to go to the page two to see his tackling. Here we go. Jair tackling. Um, this is weird. So, oh, this is 2021. So 2021, his first three ga- games, he had a 79 tackling grade, 81, and 79. Then in the game he got hurt. He only had a 32, and then he also played poorly in the divisional round of the playoffs as well, but I think we can all agree not to hold that against him. If you look at 2020, he had four games where he fell apart. Uh, week three against New Orleans, the defense did struggle in that game. Week si- that, that was the game where <laughs> I tweeted, fire Mike Patton. And I had not seen a lot of people upset about Mike Pettin, like super upset about Mike Pettin prior to that game. But I tweeted, fire Mike Pettin. And it got retweeted a bunch. And then I just started noticing everybody else tweeting it. They probably already were. Um, But after I had calmed down, I felt sheepish. And I think I deleted that tweet. Uh, (laughs) Two weeks later, week five. So he had a good game in between at Atlanta. He had an 81 tackling grade. Then in week uh, oh, week five was the bye. Week six, he had a terrible tackling grade against Tampa Bay. You all remember how badly that defensive performance went. So 27.3 in week three, 29.5 in week six. And then uh, in week 12 against Chicago, he had another bad game uh, across the board. The interesting thing is in those other two games where he was bad, he was still good in coverage. But in week 12, he was bad in every single category. Uh, He had a missed tackle. He was targeted 10 times, allowed five receptions for 47 yards. And no touchdowns, thankfully. Uh, But he had less than a 40, less than a 50 grade overall in every single category. Defense, overall defense, run defense, tackling, coverage. Um, and then again in the in the champion in the conference championship game, he played poorly against the run as well. So two times against Tampa, Jair really struggled in run defense. Uh, Amos is up and down a little bit. So uh, Amos and Jair, I think those guys still have pretty clearly defined roles that we. I, I don't want to pull Jair um, and make him play a star. I'm not interested in that. Joe Barry has talked about it. Last year, he was talking about Jair as like one of his favorite options for the star, and I just felt like that was a misuse of his talents. But also, who else on the roster can do it? Kevin King kind of could do it. He's still out there. I don't think they'll bring him in, though. Uh, and then Dowlin Levitt, for the time that he played last year, his run defense grade is a 63.7. Um, let's see. Keyshawn Nixon is hurt right now. Uh, but his run defense grade is a 60. Bizarrely, he has an 85 pass rush grade. And then Razul, maybe he's the last guy you would consider for that. So the only new additions to the team would be Dallin Levitt and Keyshawn Nixon, who could play star. My, my guess is Adrian Amos ends up still playing a lot of that. But then you're leaving Darnell a little bit more on an island. I mean, I guess he's still, he's still got Stokes and... Jair and and whoever else back there to help him out, but interesting to to look at. So these are some of the the niche positions that I think uh, the Packers are still trying to fill. 
Uh, swing tackle would be maybe another one to talk about. Um, and uh, I think the the only thing to really talk about there is, um, you know, you got Zach Tom, you got Sean, or sorry, uh, Yash Nyman. Those two guys feel like the answers for swing tackle when you have your total roster put together. The issue I have is right now we're not sure, you know, those two guys might be your starting right and left tackle. So then you got maybe Cole Van Lannon as your, which reminds me, I have a Cole Van Lannon question I got to pull up. Uh, but Cole Van Lannon is maybe your swing tackle. Where was this? This was on Twitter. Uh, who was this? Who said that? Um, do, 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 do. Wasn't you. Wasn't you. Where was this? Here we go. Um, so this comes from uh, Packers in four on Twitter. I can't be the only one who's worried about the Packers tackle depth, even with Jenkins and Bach healthy. I really like Cole Van Lannon. I did at Wisconsin and do now, but he almost feels like a guard at this level. Um, I mean, the problem with him playing guard is he's not really built like a guard. Uh, you know, but I guess you could make the same argument that Josh Myers isn't really built like a center. So Cole Van Lannon feels more like a tackle than a guard to me, but I understand the concern there. Um, worried about tackle depth, even with Jenkins and Bach. That I, I don't agree with. I think if you have Jenkins and Bakhtiari, and then behind them you have Yash and Zach Tom, I think that is absolutely enough. Um, any team who is worried about their fifth string tackle, um, I, so much has gone wrong that that uh, you, you can't really be upset with the state of the original roster which is kind of where we were last year. There were so many injuries that it was unreasonable to expect any team to hold up um, under that kind of stress. So, you know, if you're in that same position this year, which maybe you are just because of literally the same, literally the same injuries from last year in terms of Bakhtiari and Jenkins. Um, but then at that point, I mean, you can't really count them as guys on your roster. They're, you know, that's your, your pup list. That's, you know, Maybe late in the year they come come free and are able to play for you. So there's been a lot of debate here about do we want Tom or Yash at left and right tackle. And I think I think it's a it's a fascinating question just when you look at the difference between the right and left tackle jobs and you know, left tackle needs to be a really good uh, pure pass protector, whereas the right tackle has to be better at run defense. Obviously a huge oversimplification, but you want your right tackle to be a big bruiser who can bully people in um, in in run blocking. I, it's why I've always thought that Sean Ryan actually made a lot of sense for right tackle, but he seems to be more on the traditional rookie route of like, we need to coach you up a bit before you can actually play. So if you just go by that strict sort of rubric, you got uh, Yash Nyman is a better pass blocker than he is a run blocker. Uh, six foot seven, three hundred fourteen pounds. I think he fits the mold of a right tackle. Zach Tom a lot shorter at six foot four, um, who is accused of having small ar- short arms. He's ten pounds lighter, three inches shorter than Yash. Um, 
he's also a better pass blocker than run blocker. The issue is in college, he graded out as an elite pass blocker and just a uh, very good run blocker. So when I'm looking at which guy I think is a better pass blocker, I think Zach Tom is better at pass blocking than Yash Nyman is. So that coupled with the fact that Yash is a little bigger, which maybe helps a bit in run defense. I really am not trying to make a case for either option. I'm just trying to explain some of the uh, pros and cons. Oh, looking at the scouting report on Zach Tom. Um, good hand placement. Outstanding punch and grip to keep rushers at bay. Quick feet to get inside of defensive tackles to wall off inside and reach linebackers at the second level. It's obviously more of a, a run blocking note. But the other thing to consider is, you know, how much time is Bakhtiari going to miss? One of the report beat, beat writers um, this past week, uh, I think it might have been Matt Schneidman. I don't remember. One of them said that he thinks Bakhtiari is going to play in week one. So if that's the case, then what you really have is Zach Tom and Yash Schneidman competing both for the right tackle job. So that'll be interesting to see. I also think that Zach Tom maybe has potential as the left tackle of the future. So the other thing, I think Zach Tom might be one of the very smartest players on the team. I'm trying to think who all besides Aaron Rodgers I could comfortably say is smarter than Zach Tom. I mean, maybe David Bakhtiari, maybe. Um, who else is super smart? Patrick Taylor is really smart. Forgot about that. Try to think if any of our defenders are like geniuses. I mean, I I don't think any of them are just dumb jocks. But I'm just saying, like Zach Tom kind of wows you with his intelligence. Just that he's a, a brainiac. So, again, another reason why I like him at left tackle. All right, but you get the picture. These are some of the um. Some of the things to be thinking about when you are trying to figure out who you think is going to make the roster, and and it's not just like, oh, I think this player is a better player than this guy. You also got to look at uh, at these uh, other roles that need to be filled on the team, and, and a huge identifying feature of the Joe Barry defense is needing to have all of these different types of players so you are ready for any situation. And I think to some small degree, I think it is true that they would rather have guys who can fill every role than just have somebody who is um, significantly better at one specific job. And hopefully you'll see through what I'm saying and recognize that Obviously not black and white, and there's limits to how much that applies. But I think I think really when you're looking at the bottom of the roster, this rings relatively true. If you got a guy like Shamar Jean Charles, who is uh, very versatile, can play a lot of different positions, um, you know, can play as a linebacker or a safety or a corner or a slot corner, can play um, as a star. You know, that's hugely valuable, and the coaches love that. Even if at any one of those positions that you put him out there, is he going to be the very best on the team at that? You know, barring, like, the actual starters. But if you if you line up Shamar Jean Charles and KB Anento, who's going to be a better uh, boundary corner? Probably KB Anento. If you line up Shamar Jean Charles and, 
Vernon Scott, who's going to be a better safety? Probably Vernon Scott. If you line up Shamar Jean Charles against Keyshawn Nixon, who's going to be a better slot corner? Probably Keyshawn Nixon. But what Shamar Jean Charles brings to the table is that he can do all of those things well enough, and the coaches trust him, and they know that if they put him in that spot, he's going to not be a liability. Even if he's not going to really wow, he's not going to be a liability, and he is so versatile. I think that that goes a long way, so... Just something to consider. Uh, this was a fun exercise I've been wanting to do for quite a while and uh, finally felt like we had enough information about how some of these guys are being used in training camp that we can talk about it. So I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a fantastic week. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>